And I actually had an um, what's it a trace route shirt on with the stars in it from one of like thousand. <laughs> I have that one. It's the best. No, not today. I have that. I have that same I've one. I've seen that one. I yep. I wore it, and uh, and I had my hat. I was some dude came up, tapped me on the shoulder. He told me to take my headphones off, which is not something you do to me. He thought I was a college kid, and then he very quickly realized I was twice a college kid. I'm still kind of young. I don't know. I got called a junior level engineer a bunch last week. I was kind of bad about that. But <laughs> next generation junior level. Hell, Jared's not even junior level anymore. Oh, you say that. Oh, that, that kind of stings a little. Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking with Brian Miller about large-scale networking and his recent appointment to the Network Technical Advisory Committee for the Internet 2. Are you interested in promoting practical experience in the operations, DevOps, and SRE spaces? Consider sponsoring the Practical Operations Podcast. Contact us at sponsor at operations.fm for details. Disclaimer, the opinions expressed on this show are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers. This week, we are joined by Brian Miller, who works at Large Scale Networking with Clemson University. Um, he has been recently Go Tigers! He's been recently appointed to the Network Technical Advisory Committee for, Committee for Internet 2. Um, he is not an official representative of Internet 2. I'm not trying to say that either, but welcome, Brian. It's great to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting me to talk with all you smart folks. And uh, I'm the network guy. So what are you doing these days? What What's the... I say large scale networking, but I'm not really sure what that means in your in your context. Well, it I guess it varies between where you work. Um, uh, my main my main priority and job task is running CLight, which is the state research and education network in South Carolina. It connects a handful of universities um, and higher education institutions and a and a K through and a K twelve school district. Um, the biggest member being uh, the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. Uh, we provide their internet upstream, and the but our main purpose in Sealight is to connect all these universities and institutions to internet too, and we do so out of uh, Charlotte up and through our partners in MCNC and out through Atlanta, yeah, with our uh, socks the Southern Crossroads folks, and uh, it's basically. Six routers and a very long IRU from Atlanta, Charlotte. So it's been so eight or nine years since I've done anything with Internet 2. Can you short up, give us the 50,000 foot overview of what's cool about Internet 2? It is a separate dedicated network that connects all the large Research One and a bunch of lesser than Research One sized universities together on a QoSable and can do very fancy things type network that you can't do over the commodity internet. Also called dirty internet by various entities. <laughs> the dirty internet. <laughs> so I remember, I mean, I, I last heard of internet to a bunch of years ago, but I remember it was kind of invitation only for education. Is that still true or are there non-educational institutions on there now? It has to be tied to either education or, or research. Okay, and I don't I don't know how loosely or tightly that's used, but we you know we, there's a genomics center in South Carolina that we we um 
partner with it. Uh, a I think it's for profit. It might be a nonprofit actually. Um, but they we we provide their internet to connectivity, and you know there's a there's a lot of applications that are used on it. Just big data is. I mean, what, I think what they say, are the kids saying data is king now or like I don't know. They uh <laughs> the there's big data we, man big data. We we move. You need to be able to move traffic faster than you can mail a hard drive. And that's essentially what you do. Uh, like, and that's what they provide a backbone for. I think their internet is in process right now of going from their 100 gig, 100 gig-ish plus, maybe there's bundles of two times 100 gig on their backbone across this, this country, to the optical backbone being the 800 gig new stuff from Sienna. And uh, wow. I think they're, roll- they're rolling out Cisco 8200, the newer, shiny, fancy Cisco boxes. Um, lower profile. They're not refrigerators. They're more pizza box and refrigerator size. Is you know, energy and cooling. When and that's the terminology pots. we use when we're in a data center. Pizza <laughs> box or refrigerator. <laughs> because that's you shouldn't buy anything else. Because if, if the pizza box won't do it, you better get the good one. Uh, I like mini fridges though because I usually have to throw them in the rack myself <laughs> in faraway c- cities like Charleston and Charlotte. So, um, Internet 2's got a lot of pops, mostly in I guess it's Lumen now. No, is that is what did the level three CenturyLink? I don't know. I know their AS number, but I don't know their name. Um, so it's yeah, so Lumen. True Network Geek. Yeah, that's a common <laughs> thing on the show here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, I, th- I think it's Lumen. They um, we have another company called Lumos that we deal with too. So I always get them mixed up, and I don't. It's almost insulting to each other. They get mad at each other when, um, but they um, so they they're mostly in Lumen Pops, running on various types of backbone fiber. But they're right now in. I think they've almost they're seventy five percent of the way through the optical turn up, and we'll be moving customer traffic data tra- uh, member traffic i would say over i think i think we were scheduled for sometime sometime in april to have the Ch- charlotte side kick over and then ha- make sure it didn't coincide with the atlanta side so but and, and is this strictly like communication between these entities or can you also get out to the dirty internet through that connection so they have two as's that you can pair with one is the Research and Education Network, which is solely the, you have to be in Research and Education Network. So um, the other is what they call, they call it now the Internet 2 Peering Exchange. It used to be called TRCPS and a bunch of other names prior to that. Um, that is where your big content providers and other commercial entities that universities tend to uh, send and get data from. Uh, are so like anything at Clemson, seventy percent of AWS traffic is going over that. Uh, our WebEx traffic, Cisco wise, is going over that. Uh, if I was on VPN, which if my video gets really bad, I'll do because I get better access via going VPN to Clemson <laughs> and then to then getting on Zoom than I do from my my home. Uh, wow. Legacy Roadrunner connection sometimes. Depending on saturation points. Uh I mean it just depends on what time of day it is. It's five thirty, dude. I can't do anything unless I get on VPN. Freaking New York. That's City. impressive and scary. Yeah. Eh, eh. You, 
But I, I mean, like, I got three monitors over here, so I know when people are going home in South Carolina and when they are with, and I know when the kids really start drinking because it goes. <laughs> 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 and I, so, and I'm usually so many up. years ago. I was working at a university overseas, and it was a campus of I don't know three, four thousand folks who lived on campus, and we all shared a four megabit synchronous line, <laughs> and that was painful. This was oh, early two thousands, but ooh, that was painful. But internet too does provide a lot of. Uh, there's a I, there's there twenty five thousand ish routes on the R and E table, and. The dirty internet is a total of ballpark 800K. I haven't looked today. Uh, the I2PX uh, peer is about half the internet. You can get to about 350,000 routes. Just over that. So, And Internet 2 was the first major adopter of IP6, right? And they are still probably... One of the greatest IPv6 evangelists out there. And I must get on a soapbox. IPv6 is very important. And uh, if you if you would like to have conversations about how Nat can have IPv4 fix everything, still, I'll be happy to duel you with pistols somewhere. Um, he said, not you no guys. Not here. you guys, but IPv6 is very important. And the quicker people adopt it. I'm actually... As uh, so my my internet tool role was I was not, I'm on the advisory committee. So state R and E networks go and are part of a group that tells internet to hey we're your membership community. What do we need? This is what we need you to do and focus on from our side. While internet to so they can take that into whatever decision making process they use. Um, there's some really wonderful folks working at internet too. So I was elected vice chair. Even after I tried to tank my own nomination, I told them that. So I think they're trying to um, either I run my mouth too much or somebody actually heard I was slightly competent, which was probably a lie. Well, and, probably both. Uh, yeah, I don't. I think um, have you ever sat through too many? How many, how many hours of meetings you guys sit through a week? You know, a lot. Oh, God. Yeah, a I lot. You got, a lot. There's something else. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm Tuesdays. I always have at least six hours. I'm like, when am I supposed to fix the internet, guys? Come on. <laughs> Which you, I don't ever actually touch the internet until midnight. Just, I mean, I can get away with it because I'm at a university, but no, I don't touch anything until midnight. You want to talk about fun? Actually, the inter the IPv6 working group is a very fun group. They're actually been around a while, and they're they're rather uh, punchy. I like that one. <laughs> but some of the other you ones... You have to be to put up with the stuff they do. Some of the other ones were very... Um, can They can get kind of dry, and there's some very, there's some very, very smart people. And I'll name drop Dave Farmer as being one of the people I've known tangentially for a long time. Out of, he's at University of Minnesota. Uh, that I basically have lurked and stalked on every social media, uh, on at least LinkedIn and Slack. Uh, we got... A, an intact slack channel i've been sitting there watching him for years like he knows when things break before the telcos do and then i can tell people it's not us dave farmer up there said it was this and he shit he has <laughs> graphs and everybody's like okay brian yeah it's fine it's not the network well not your network 
And um, <laughs> then I can go back to, I don't know, getting yelled at or yelling at my kids. No, yeah, uh, yeah yelling at the kids, not beating, yelling. And um, yeah, that's fun. It's when, uh, when your kids are a little bit older, they'll start yelling at you. Don't worry. <laughs> it, it goes the other way. Or if I got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. How much of uh, Clemson's own traffic, internet traffic, is IPP version 6 versus, versus 4? So we have every wired desktop at Clemson. It's a dual-stack IPv6 address. Um, we were going to roll out dual-stack on wireless. There's a whole bunch of caveats in wireless land that have, we were going to wait till summertime. And then uh, the uh, what the the tsunami pandemic thing, whatever the thing why I can't leave my house happened, and then uh, so we we didn't have it done that yet. So I mean, eighty percent of our traffic is wireless. Wireless is the network in terms of what the users see. Right. So if you take that into account, I'd say probably half of our wire traffic is going, but that's not a lot of our traffic. So right. I, I hate wireless so much. It is the absolute devil because you can't see it. You can't see it unless you got and one. You, of you can't replace a cable. You you can't actually go fix the break and the thing. It's no. There, there's some kind of intermittent interference somewhere, or the the antennas are too close together, or they're too far apart. I was um, previously the uh, in charge of wireless. I will never accuse myself of being any expert in wireless. Um, but we we had two wireless systems. Literally twelve feet apart in some places, in like in terms of buildings. So, I don't know how that happened. It was what I inherited, but uh, one of the one of the vendors actually came out and did. They were doing packet captures over the air, because they kept telling me I was wrong. I said, "Come down here and prove it." And how big of a boy are you? And um, they uh, came, and he was a big old boy, but not big enough. I said, come on, let's go over there. And I said, let's go over there, and I'm going to show you this is what's happening. You'd be on one side and have an IP address. You would go to the other side, and it would take 15 minutes to get an IP address, which oddly lines up with our DHCP timers. And uh, I said, dude, it's not getting the DHCP knack that it's in a new building on a new VLAN. I told y'all this. And... He was like, <laughs> and then they did it, and they were like, "Uh," I said, "I told y'all, I'll be over in my office. You know where it's at. Have a good time." They did. They actually did some packet captures and realized the NAC, the the NAC was coming in from the controllers, the AP, and then not getting actually out into the air. I was like, "Yeah, I could have told you that fifteen uh, fifteen months ago if I could have done a PCAP or something." Oh, guys. TCP dumper didn't happen. Did you say your lease time is 15 minutes? Wireless? Yeah. It's, yeah, I think it's in, it, yeah, it usually renews 15. I don't know if it's set to 30 or 15 anymore, but uh, roaming. Wow. It helps, uh, it helps, um. Yes, faster devices move around. I don't, I believe it. I think that makes sense. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, nowadays, isn't roaming handled by the APs? Like, where they they intelligently, like, say, oh, I see this person has a stronger signal in my cell versus this other AP that they're on. I'm going to tell that AP to stop communicating with them, and I'll pick it up, or is it still client-based? It it, it is. um, I mean, it's still roaming. Like, you can actually roam between controllers seamlessly, but I think part of the mechanism that keeps it seamlessly is, like, 
a constant like, hey, are you there? You there? Here's your IP. Are you there? You're there. And when you do IP pooling, it's very important to have. So we actually give all Edgy Roam users a public IPv4 address. Even, so not even like on their, their self, like if they're connecting with their mobile device, they're getting a public IP. We got a slash 16 and slash 17 to work with. Wow. We got, we got stuff. <laughs> Damn. Pew, 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 pew. More IPs and you know what to do with? Sure, I'll hand them <laughs> out. The what could seven- go wrong? <laughs> the, the 17 was actually an, a push by Aaron. I don't know the year. It was early 2000s-ish, maybe mid-2000s, uh, to, to actually keep NAT off of wireless. And they got the 17 at Clemson because they made the argument that they could use it for and keep public addresses on wireless. And they have. Uh, but to do that, you know, we have a handful of slash 21s, and we have them pooled, so all of the wireless systems that are at least of one vendor can use the whole, you know, they, it just does a, a round-robin pool, and if what if it gets the message that it's full, it'll go to the next one. And um, it helps you. So the 15-minute timer also keeps your... Okay, yeah, that I makes a lot time. more sense, that if they're public IPs, you won't to have you know the pool not not to be ate up with a bunch of dead addresses or dead see that stuff. that question was not on the list i wasn't ready for that one I had to think about it. <laughs> no worries but seriously you pass out public ip addresses to roaming devices yes goodbye Windows how many people laptops? get hacked <laughs> say what how many people get hacked <laughs> oh i mean no, it's, to it's, you with. i mean it's still behind it's still behind the firewall what? You got it's not. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so we haven't got it. We haven't got into the other twenty hours. Uh, sea lights twenty hours of mine. <laughs> I also do the science DMZ. If you would get into the non the non firewall stuff. So um, years ago, Jack and I worked together at NC State, and everything everything on campus that we touched had a public IP address. Like our I workstations in our teeth office on the public internet, no firewall. I had to to produce a Linux distribution and security mechanisms and, and, you know, make it work and make it so it didn't get hacked. And that was my, it was, that was, it was how I became a cool sysadmin. I have to do that to this day still outside the firewall because uh, um, we have uh, cell consoles to, in our, in our big pop locations. So I, I have to really thoroughly lock down and think about how to lock down that static IP address on that particular provider so that I can get to it when the, um, when it hits the fan, but I can also, but it's safe and protected long live SSH keys. Yes. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but you, you had to, you had to really kind of think through that. And then you always run into something else, you know, when somebody's like, Hey, I want to use that NAT, that, that fancy network access control thing. This vendor has, you got to go put that IP in a bunch of places or we uh, Clemson is a is bordered at the firewall, but internally it's fairly open. It's um it's kind of a at the direction of the CTO and uh, he's an old USC guy named Jim Pepin. And the uh, so but once you're inside, it's pretty open, but. There's a there's a fairly big gun letting people in and out of so, the door. Well, so you clean up some of the trash that normally would come through if you were given a, a public IP, like you just plugged into your modem. Your your firewall is blocking some of that, like the. Uh, you can't. 
if if you just are on wireless, no one can get to you from the outside unless you initiated the TCP session from. Outside. Okay, uh, yeah. So like uh, like yeah, there there is no like no one on wireless has a static IP. So there's no firewalls, firewall rules or holes punched. You just it's completely blocked out unless you start the TCP session. Gotcha. So you can't like host a server there. You have to be. You have to initiate initiate everything. But given the public IPs out is like a is like where is some kind of metal or something I think because so. <laughs> I was like we had to jump through a bunch of hoops and I was like can we just nat it for for like a month until the end of the semester please like it's already set up I used it on the second vendor because I had to to get it to work and um can't we just do that and they were like oh. I was like oh, there is a metal isn't there and they're like that's when I found out about the slash seventeen acquisition so I was like. Okay, I'll shut up. Uh, but, uh, so so back in the day, um, I wanted to switch topics briefly. Back in the day, home internet was terrible. It's still kind of terrible. Um, but Google Fiber has recently announced that they're moving to two down, one up for gigabit. So two gigs down, one gig up. Um, and it, it was not... Yeah, and it wasn't very long ago that the best internet service I could get was 20 megabit down and like two megabit up. I lived on that for... A decade, because that was the best I could get. I, I have forty down to four up now. And that's Thank probably you. The best on, you on DSL, and it's yeah, the best I'm going to get. So if like I'm if I'm pulling a gig down, what are what's the new hotness in terms of you mentioned eight hundred gig fiber a little while ago? What's the new hotness in terms of like the the, the backbones and the, and the long hauls between re- regions or whatever? Because I'm Supporting, you know, neighborhoods of gigabit internet is got to be strenuous. Yeah, How much? I mean, what's the backhaul out of out of the the concentrators to that area? Because if, if everybody asks for a gig at one time, you got to have more than a gig to the next hop. You, I think sometimes just because folks like us have a gig, I mean, I, I mean, if I had a gig, I'd be. I'd have a UDP cannon going at some people all the time, you know? You'd have all kinds of fun. You could, <laughs> um, you could, but the average user isn't consuming as much. Just because it's the, it's there doesn't mean they'll use it anymore when you get into the gig levels. Like, oh, I have 100 meg. I have 100 meg down, probably 10 up. And other than what I know are saturation points at, like, internet exchange points in... Specifically, Ashburn. I don't know why. I think it's too close to DC. Um, it 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 just outside of that, I I don't ever have any problems. Even with like two kids watching whatever digital babysitter they have, and my wife on a Zoom call as well. But like I I don't do anything. But like I only need VPN to campus and an SSH session, and then whoever wants to see my beautiful face on a Zoom call. Yeah, I mean, occasionally when I'm pulling like. Uh... A system update or something from Apple because a- Apple has more bandwidth than Jesus. Um, uh, then I'll hit you know 500 megs a second down or whatever because it's it's chunky. So, but Cle- Clemson as a whole, I think we we're in the probably entire peak time of day in the 12 gigabits. Before before the pandemic, we we were getting about 12 gigs down per second, and that's a you know there's what. 16-ish, 17-ish thousand undergrads here. And, like, 
I got, and that never actually impeded any of my upstream bandwidth. Like I, I'm um, on the state Arnie side. I like 50%. 50% is full, and that's when I start throwing things at people to get more capacity. Where do you watch for that that saturation? Are these public dashboards, or this is a private thing that you set up? Uh, I'd say it's a it's a private thing I set up. It's not okay. pretty either. I'd, I'd probably sh- I'd probably show maybe one of you all, but I would. Sh- I don't even let people internally at Clemson see it because it's like my brain. It, the one I the one that I use is my brain and how I see the network when I close my eyes, and that is not a network that any that is not a traffic graph or a heat map anybody needs to see. Inside of my brain, scary. The four of us ran the visibility stack for a, a household uh, retail name for a bunch of years. And so we have a lot of experience with logging metrics, visualization of data, all that kind of stuff. And I was just curious if there was a place that we, we could um, consume this data publicly because that is... Let me tell you, I can do more than 12 uh, gigabits a second. <laughs> oh, I can too. I can... I can. People like their I, logs. I can get... Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I have two personal art nodes that like... If I wanted to, I could get 20 gigs of traffic like that. Our our high-performance computing center it are the only people that saturate our links. They do a lot of uh, Globus transfers. Y'all have heard of Globus. One of the um, It lets the researchers who are not computer types uh, do big data transfers easier than, like, command line level stuff. Um, it's actually a pretty neat service if you haven't heard about it. Um, but they, uh, oh, my gosh, that'll... I'll look over and I'm like, I actually have to get the HPC dude to be like, dude, shut it. Can you wait till 5.30 when everybody's going, please? Please. Because he'll take up our 2 by 10 gigs to socks or something. That's awesome. Impressive. And it's all, it's going over our, it's going over our E. I can always see it because I see where all the red's going. And I'm like, Ugh. So I actually have another traffic graph so I can actually tell him, it's on this node in your cluster. Please, I'll I'll shut the port. What what are you no, using really. to to monitor that? So the I think we have a stat seeker instance. Um, we have some Grafana stuff because Grafana is awesome. Um, stat seeker is ba- uh, is is the main thing that's polling the devices and getting SMP information. Right, and then once it's in stat seeker, uh, we can re- and we have another we have an MRTG MRTG instance. So StatSeeker is a one-minute one minute source, and MRTG is a five-minute source. And then you can map it to the, uh, I'm sh- probably been around a hot minute, the PHP weather map. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it. That weather map is <laughs> is what I, is the only reason people, it's actually the most handy tool I have. And it's right here. <laughs> Pat, right past my well, I haven't looked at network weather map in... Many years. Yeah. It is changed maybe twice. I mean, it's not like, it's not, like there's, there's not much to it. Like, you just, I mean, you just say, this is your, go here for this data and make it turn this color for 10 gig. Or you say, hey, it's 10 gig, and when it's 50% full, make it turn yellow or whatever. It's actually pretty, pretty straightforward. Once you can figure, it's actually probably why I know enough of what I, what little I know about Linux. Uh, is between person R and having to understand where I could find where the files were at so I could start making weather map. Did you ever use Linux cacti a, or still use cacti or I used we used cacti at our at a, my previous job. I was at Kansas Research and Education Network. 
uh, at that time. So, uh, yeah, cacti I'm, I'm familiar with. And uh, they they phased out cacti about sometime when I started at Clemson. But, yeah, cacti is a, it's, it's, it's a graph. Tells you how much is going on. But, um, yeah, we, we all have lots of opinions about data storage and backends and those kinds of things. But that's because we're, we're, we're in a different part of the problem than you're on. Yeah. Good luck with that. Um, you keep the interconnect working. That's, we that's, just draw pretty pictures. I replaced the backbone on C-Lite. Um, well, they, they got some MX960s in one place. And I got four more MX960s. We shoved a new one in Atlanta. And then I replaced the ones in Charlotte, Charleston, and Columbia. Because those are all where providers bring their last mile circuits back in. Uh, we had they had hit a fib, right, right, literally like probably a month after I took, was kind of like, hey, they're gonna make you the C light guy. You don't have to go do the wireless and building wiring thing that you're really not that good at, but still did a lot of. Um, they, it we hit a fib limit, so the routing tables were getting bigger than the hardware could hold, and no, it wasn't really being watched closely, because it was always like, eh. I got on one of the routers. I was like, "This, yeah, I haven't rebooted this RE in eight years. Uh, eight year uptime." I was like, Damn. "Oh!" Uh, the, 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 I was like, "I can't even open a case on this, guys." They were like, "Open a case," and I did. And the first thing I said is, "Don't ask about the software. Just don't ask." I did. <laughs> I just don't ask. And they're like, "Are you we don't running e the current version?" <laughs> we don't even have. We don't even have two or three above that running in a lab that we can get to. But uh, it was, I mean, but they had it, the, the hardware can only, if it, you remember when the routing table went over 512,000? Yeah, we had a little internal version of that because uh, when the I2PX and commodity side got over a million, <laughs> yeah, that, on that gear that was 10 years old that should have been replaced five years ago. But uh, so that initiated a change in routing policy quickly. Uh, some reboots, some chicken blood, I think, and uh, we kind of kept the wheels on until we could get the people with the paychecks to say, "Oh yeah, I remember internet being down for like an hour that day." Okay, okay, and then like they were I. That's that's when I learned to build bombs. Not not those type of bombs, but uh, bill of materials and um, how to get quotes and how. I mean, I'd done that on a like a building level, but doing it with gear that like it's it's that was it was that was a fun that was a fun time. So Brian, what's the worst outage that you can you can share with us, just in terms of like network disaster stuff? Because I know that some of these are fairly epic, and you've had your hands in a place that a lot of our listeners will never or don't commonly get to get to experience craziest dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't, th I don't think I have any problem sharing any, I'm trying to think which one's the worst. Um, <laughs> no, the one that was the worst by far was the, uh, so we have a fiber IRU between Clemson to Atlanta, but also to Charlotte. Uh, some state regulations had gotten in the way and prevented the Charlotte leg from really getting used. So there was some lit service being used within the state to kind of get to Charlotte and eh, whatever. Yeah. We were dual homed with a certain provider 
Uh, this was the, I I I don't know if I was in charge. I think now literally like two days before they're like, hey, guess what? You're this, you're gonna do the the state R and E thing, gats. And like I didn't got passwords and stuff. And they um the company that we partnered with to light our IRU because optical lighting your own optical systems is very challenging and was outside of the scope at the time when they got it. Um, they lost light between the last uh, hut outside of Atlanta and 56 Marietta, which is one of the big pops in Atlanta. There was no light coming in. There's no fiber cut. Nobody knew what had happened. And nobody had any information. Nothing was documented. There was nothing. Like I was like, where's the circuit ID? And they're like, well, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. And I'm like, it is not kind of funny that we mentioned that. <laughs> where's the circuit ID? And like, there was no like documentation. I still don't know where the Meet Me Room patch panel is on one of those one of those links somewhere. Almost found it the other day, but it was wrong. Uh, but yeah, somebody. It, but it's not a big deal. You lose Atlanta, whatever. It goes to Charlotte if it's configured correctly. <laughs> and uh, we actually had our state R and E brethren to the north of us uh, save us and throw us a BGP session up to get us some commodities. After nine hours of the two, two of the three biggest universities in the state having no internet, no commodity internet. I two things were still working, but nothing else was working. Ouch. Uh, yeah, I, I was up. I got relieved at six a.m. Right as they were like, "I, s- hold up, did you roll the fiber? Why am I seeing light on the 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 trans? I see light on the transmit. Somebody had un- like somebody at the meet me room had unplugged the wrong thing and it wasn't coupled, and plugged it in backwards." <laughs> wow. Either there or oh. or my my thought is is that during the troubleshooting a car they 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 were testing fibers, hooked it up backwards. They rebooted a card and things started working. I don't know, it was one of those two. But once you got the connectivity working, I spent the next 6 hours like on the phone like here here's the original 10 year ago fiber runs or like here's your uh OTDRs from 2007. Do they match up? No. Okay. Oh, yeah, they do. Okay, next. Go to the next pop. I don't know what to tell y'all. It was horrible. It was, it was, it was eight. It's probably, it was probably six to eight hours of user outage. And our AL2S connection was down for 18 hours. That's awful. Wow. And it and it was because the route filters in Charlotte weren't set up correctly to begin with, and this had never happened in the previous four to five years, so no one knew that the route filters were not correctly set up on the provider side in Charlotte, so they just were like not accepting our routes and readvertising them out. So when I got some sleep, I I had been around I had been around the ISP world a lot, so. I started calling them. I'm like, why did this not work? Show me, give me, give me somebody to show me what route you're accepting. I found it. I was like, oh, well, that would do it, wouldn't it? It's kind of like in the system space. Um, a backup isn't a backup until it's been restored. Um, a failover isn't a failover until you've tested it. 
Correct. Um, that did lead to an interesting conversation with, uh, I guess, three or four people used to kind of run that network. Now, um, now it's just me on the technical side. I did had a, had an interesting conversation with at least one of those one of those folks about how they had tested that, and uh, our previous mention of StatSeeker and MRTG was very telling on a router that hadn't been rebooted in seven years on a link that had been up for five and not moved. 400 kilobits is not a lot of traffic. Nope. <laughs> and it's not, or 40 or 5K. I don't know. Like, it was in the case. I mean, if you don't zoom in and look at the numbers, it looks like it's going. That was that horrible. Yeah. And it has not happened since. Because I got him to fix it tested it they didn't fix it got them to really fix it tested it everything was good i said we're gonna do a failover test and i just pulled the plug in and it worked plugged it back in next time i do a maintenance somebody was like you can't do that tonight because it always the internet disappears for five minutes when you guys do that and i was like it was broken before i fixed it it won't do it tonight yeah, it, it shouldn't go out for that five minutes. It should always no, I Yeah, it shouldn't, and it should not have, and you should have told me it had done that. <laughs> I know I, I know I'm the new guy. So, Well, sometimes it takes a fresh pair of eyes to, to point out the, the accepted pain that people are like, oh, it's, it's fine. I, we've just been doing it, and it's fine. It hurts. And it's like, no, it, it shouldn't hurt. It shouldn't be like that. In life in higher ed is you, you, get, you get a project, you get 80% of the way done with it. They throw you in another project that's due two months ago. Then they you get to where it's functional and they throw you in another one. Sometimes you don't get to go and clean up the details or make pretty diagrams or make pretty network graphs. In my five years at NC State, I think we got to turn off two things. Of the dozens and dozens of things that were badly supported and kind of discontinued but not really off yet, I got to turn off two things. When you have um, health-related things involved as well, uh, it gets even slower. I had somebody brag to me about it at a 16-year, 14-year uptime on a server or something. I was like, oh, my, or a uh, piece of network equipment. Yeah, we, I helped somebody change out a 6804. No, 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 not 60, 60, was it 6504? 6504. I don't even want to know. I think it was a while ago. Oh, those old, the, the, the Cisco network chassis, right? Yep. We had the 6509s with the newer R2, with the newer uh, routing processors in them before we got our new, uh, our, our new borders at Clemson, which are MX960s, if anybody cares. Um, but the, this, they, these people had the, the, this group had a set of the new, the new shiny Cisco boxes two years ago sitting there and it's just like you can't get a window to change it that is you can't take the hospital down like people it's actually important. die you know <laughs> so are those chassis still a thing now or have we moved on to different you know like i i know that you know back when i was doing this stuff or at least touching it you know the top rack switching was the thing and uh you know now i i think it's moved on to um I can't remember what it's called now, but you know it's just it's changed. So like, did 
does Cisco even make large chassis like that anymore, or is it is it moved on to something different? I think all all of the vendors, uh, which I'm blessed to get to touch most of them on a day to day basis, um, yeah, they all have the whatever whatever size you're looking to do, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Okay. Uh, so like they, oh yeah, you can still totally buy chassis and um, new routing processors for them, and but they also have the just like chip technology shrunken everything that you know the cell phone I have is better than anything me and Brendan had in college. Um, in term maybe not, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's yeah, it um is. yeah, I was never good on specs. Um, yeah, so like yeah, I mean you can get. In a pizza box, which you could have got out of a chassis ten years ago. Gotcha. They still charge you like it's a chassis, though. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and coworkers. We would also appreciate folks taking the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email. Feedback at operations.fm. And Brian, thank you so much again for joining us. This was fun. It's fun. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brennan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night. My, actually, my kids know, I, I have, since we're at home, and depending on how pandemic-y things are, they know, Dad, that one turned red! <laughs>